0: Is with us and that you're with us right now and for those that are that don't even know what i'm talking about just want to invite you to say jesus help me to know you god would that happen tonight that we'd know you more in jesus name amen okay you guys can sit down i want you to to think about what it would be like if okay if, if you need a bible Mr. Matt's got Bibles for you right here. If you, need a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand, and he'll, he'll sell you one for $1.50. No, another. he can actually borrow one for free. Uh, okay, I want you guys to imagine. We got a community here of people who love each other. Is, is the devil at work against the people in this community? Absolutely. But the devil is not going to succeed no matter what the devil tries because we have the Holy Spirit of God on our side. What we've been studying in the book of Acts over the past, I don't know, several months is Jesus' <laughs> campaign to set up a kingdom through his people. If you guys remember, he left this planet. He steps off this planet after he had been put to death, after he'd been resurrected. And before he steps off this planet, he promises his followers his people, that they're going to receive power from his spirit. So as Jesus was here on earth as one physical body, the Holy Spirit empowered one physical person. But his intention was that every person, every person who calls him, calls themselves by his name, would have his spirit in them to enable them to do the kinds of things that he did. That was his plan. So he leaves and he pours out his spirit on that community people. First of all, 120 people in one day that explodes to 3,000 people. And a little bit later, there's about 5,000 people who are part of that community. And then something happens where the devil, who has been attacking, trying to destroy, the devil steps over a threshold that he hasn't stepped over before. And he succeeds in putting to death one of the leaders of the church of Jesus guy named Stephen, You guys remember this? do want you guys to imagine what that was like for that community of people. Imagine that here we are at the Cornerstone serving coffee, serving burgers on Friday. By the way, there are burgers served tomorrow at, at 1230, right? So come get a burger. Um, we got small groups happening. we got all kinds of Bible studies happening. we got the discipleship houses happening. But imagine that the devil succeeded in, in taking one of our people and accusing that person through people of the world, false accusations. And imagine that one of our community here was put to death. What, what would that do to us? And then imagine that the person or the, the, the people who are in charge of putting that person to death, if they came against all of us. So this is what's happened in Jerusalem. The church of Jesus in Jerusalem has just taken a big hit. One of their main leaders, this guy named Stephen, has been put to death. And chapter 8, this is where we are in chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 and we read about a guy named Saul. We're going to read a lot more about Saul in the future because his li- his life is going to change drastically, but he's one of the leaders in this movement to put down the Christians. And he's there watching Stephen get stoned to death and he's giving approval. And on that day, chapter 8 verse 1, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all all those people who were followers of Jesus, except the apostles, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. You guys know what Judea and Samaria is? That's like that's like the area, the county around Jerusalem, and the neighboring county, it's like Tarrant County, Dallas County, maybe Johnson County. Okay, I mean all those people who are in Jerusalem following Jesus. All of a sudden, they're scattered. But it goes beyond that, and we're going to find out about that. But verse two, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Yes, he was a part of their community. He had served so well. They loved him, and now he's gone. And they mourned deeply, and you can just imagine them asking, God, what is going on here? What is happening? But Saul, this guy Saul, who later becomes the Apostle Paul, he begins to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Okay, let me ask you this. What is the period of times from the time that Jesus stepped off this planet until now where the greatest number of followers of Jesus have been persecuted and the greatest number of followers of Jesus have been put to death? What time period? Say it again. 70, a lot of them were put together in 70 A.D., but the, what happened in 70 A.D. when Jerusalem was destroyed is the Christians got out because they followed Jesus' warning from Matthew and Luke. So not, the, 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 not near as many Christians were put to death in 70 A.D. as what you would expect. 1.2 million Jews were put, together, were put to death in 70 A.D., but not, as, not the Christians so much. So, so what has been the period of time where the greatest number of Christians have been put to death because of their faith? Crusades, Crusades were a lot. Now, there are more Christians being put to death right now because of their faith in Jesus than ever, any other time in history before. And we read about stuff, you know, if you guys have read the Fox's book, Martyrs, or what was the DC Talk book that followed that, um, um, what was Jesus Freaks? I mean, there's, there's, there's stories, uh, very inspiring stories of how the people of God stood up in the face of opposition in times past, but nothing like, as far as numbers go. Nothing as many as today, and so what we're doing I th- is as I've been praying about what we're doing tonight. I want to, I want to, I want you guys to, to know a little bit about what your brothers, your brothers and sisters, who if you could meet them, would be just like the people in this room. What they're going through right now. And I'm going to show you some scenes. I'm going to show you some some video here. Some of you, some of you are doing want to close your eyes on some of the, on some of what I'm going to show you. Um, the first one is the is the Boko, do the Boko Haram one first. The Sister Leah one. Um, You got that one ready? Okay. I just want you to see uh, what's happened with, you guys have heard about Boko Haram and what happened with Sister Leah. Uh,
1: This time it was 110 girls. Now, five of the girls died in captivity, and unfortunately, you don't hear a lot about that. But just a few days ago, on March 21st, all the girls were released except for one. Now, think about this. Why is this case so different? Why were these girls released so quickly? Well, you guessed that these girls were Muslim. Now, the only girl that was not released was Leah Sherabu. And any guess why Leah wasn't released? Because she's a Christian. And under great pressure, she wouldn't convert to Islam. Now, listen to this quote from her father. Leah told him she would never become a Muslim. Now, I'm very sad, but I'm also very happy because my daughter did not denounce Christ. Nigeria's president.
0: Okay. That's one story. I want you to see another story. A girl whose name we don't know. A Pakistani pastor sent me this video. And I asked Luke to take out most of the video because I I didn't want, I didn't want you mad at me for showing you stuff that is horrific. I, couldn't, I could hardly stand to watch it. But, the, but I wanted you to get a, just a glimpse of the persecution that people who love Jesus... Are facing. So if you, if you close your eyes, if you want, if you don't want to see this, girls, but th- this is this is just a glimpse of what people in some areas go through because of their trust in Jesus. Go ahead and play that. Okay, so she loses her life because of her faith in Jesus. Okay, the point is, here's what I want you guys to get. I don't want to just gross you guys out. Uh, The point of this is that there are people who right now, today, are facing persecution because of their trust in Jesus. I want you guys to see a website that is a prayer website that is kind of an an updated news website that, that tells what's going on in regards to persecution of Christians. So why don't, you, why don't you, I commit to pray.com. You guys can look at this. There's prayer requests on here. Some of these are exciting because some of these are, are breakthroughs in the direction against persecution, and some of them are, are horrific, sad stories that we need to pray for because of what they're going through. So go ahead and put that website up there if you can. Okay, so this um this goes by date so march 20 21st, persecution is fertilizer for the gospel this is just a, and i don't know what all these stories are cuz there's tons of them that was then march 21st march 21st is today march 21st or yesterday okay persecu- um, christians blame for villagers death pastor evades killers um last week march 14 former muslim and former hindu lead church this is great this is exciting um march 14 Government arrests five Christian women. Um, go, to, go to the next page. Uh, spouses have imprisoned church members arrested. That's from March 7. Um, gorillas burn Bibles, March 7. Um, this, this is all the past couple of weeks. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I just want you guys to see this. And, and maybe what we ought to do, Luke, is post that website on our, our Facebook page so that people can look at it and pray for these people. These are our brothers and our sisters. I wish I could meet them. I've never seen, sometimes I've looked at these pictures and I just like, I wish I could, I could be with them. And I hope that somehow I get to share in their suffering someday. Okay. Here's what I want you guys to think about. Here's the question I want to ask you guys. I want you to think about what is the motivation for people like this to be willing to die for the name of Christ? What's their motivation? Why would they do that? I want to give you guys three three scriptures that tell three motivations. First motivation, the number one motivation. If anybody anybody in this room gets to die for the name of Christ, you know what's going to be the ultimate motivation for that? It's going to be love. Love. You guys, you guys notice how love makes you do weird things? Who's in love in here? Okay. Don't. Yeah, some of you guys are. Okay. I mean, I, I remember when I, was, when I was younger and I was falling in love with Ruth. Ruth lived in Baguio City. Addison knows where Baguio is. I lived in, at that time, I was, you know, well, we were at school together. When we'd go home, I lived in Bagabag. Bagabag to Baguio was about 60 miles if you had an airplane. But there was a big mountain range between. So to get from from where I was living, where Ruth was living about 60 miles away it took about seven or eight hours and I think that summer I spent about 150 hours on the bus because I was going to see her all the time because I was in love because love does ah that's right thank you Amherst. okay guys I want you guys to look at this at this scripture 2 Corinthians 5 13. What love makes us do. Paul's writing. Paul and Timothy are writing the church in Corinth. They're writing this part in response to some accusations about why they've done such crazy things. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.13, if we're out of our mind, it is for God's sake. And if we're on our right mind, it's for your sake. In other words, what he's saying is, whether, whether I'm, whatever I'm doing, whether you guys think it's crazy or not, I'm doing it for the right reasons. I'm doing it because I love God and I love you guys. In verse 14, 2 Corinthians 5.14, which is one of my favorite verses, and it's written in Japanese on my wall upstairs, it says, For Christ's love compels us. For we are convinced that one died and therefore all died. Christ's love compels us. Paul, that's what he's saying. Paul, this is the same guy that just oversaw the the killing of Stephen. But he comes face to face with Jesus just months after the persecution that we read about in Jerusalem. He comes face to face with Jesus, and his whole life is changed, and he is in love with Jesus. His motivation is love for Christ, love for Christ. And he says, so Christ's love compels us because, here's the deal, he says, we're convinced that Jesus died and in that way, he paid the price for all people, and, it, and the, the it, it basically all people have died to sin. All people are free from the penalty of sin, and Jesus died. Look at verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 5. And Jesus died for all people, your professors, the people that were killing the girl here. He died for all people so that those who live would stop living for themselves but live for him. Why did Jesus die? So that you guys stop living for yourselves and live for him because that's the best way to live. Anybody who's decided not to live for themselves and has decided to live for Jesus will tell you it's the only way to live. It's the only satisfying way to live. And any, t- any amount of living for ourselves that we do turns out to be worthless. And everything that we do out of living for him is great, compelled by the love of Christ. Why? Do people why are people willing to die like that? Because it's because I love Jesus. One reason is a motivation of love. Second, second reason that people are willing to die is because in their minds, just think about this. In their minds, it is worth it. It's worth it. The benefit outweighs the cost. And you can say, if you don't understand that way, then you're thinking, how could the benefit of dying outweigh the cost? But everything that you guys do, you do because the benefit of doing that thing outweighs the cost of doing it. If you came tonight, it was because the benefit of being here outweighed the cost. The people that didn't come here tonight, it was because the cost of coming outweighed the benefit. Does that make sense? So the people who are willing to die for Christ are people who are saying, it is worth it. And so my question for you guys, is it worth it for you? Is it worth it for you? And Jesus says in Luke 9, 24, he says, Anybody who wants to save his own life, they're going to ultimately have to lose it. They're having to be able to say, my life isn't that important. Anybody who's trying to save their own life, all about preservation, all about, I got I to gotta keep myself safe. I got to make enough money so I can get a security system in my house so nobody gets into my, I mean, all the, the precautions that the world tells us that we need to protect ourselves. Jesus says, you know what? I'll take care of you. You trust me. And you're like, Jesus, if you're going to take care of me, then what about those people? weren't you gonna take care of them? Okay, hold on, because I wanna I want to talk about that in a second. Right now we're talking about motivation. The motivation is all is love. Motivation is the cost, the benefit is 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 worth is worth it. Whatever it costs, the benefit is greater. Okay, and the third thing that I want you guys to think about, why somebody would be motivated to give their life for the sake of the gospel, is that this in itself. The willingness to die for the sake of Christ is the method by which we step on the head of Satan. I want you guys to see that. Revelation 12, 10. Revelation 12, 10, there's this anthem being sung. And it, it's and it, this is what it says. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Of his Christ for because that means because the accuser of our brothers who accuses them day and night before God has been hurled down who's it talking about the devil the devil has been hurled down and how did how was he hurled down how did they beat him how did they step on his head verse 11 Revelation 12 verse 11 they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and three things here they overcame by the blood of the lamb By the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. I want you to think that. Isn't that the way that Jesus defeated the devil? Isn't that the first prophecy about Jesus coming, that the devil would strike his heel, but that Jesus would step on the devil's head? Jesus did that. Jesus defeated the devil with his blood, and apparently, from Revelation 12, there's a sense in which the people at the Cornerstone get the privilege of through their blood, sweat, and tears stepping on the devil's head also. Yeah. What's the motivation of these people who are willing to die for Christ? It's that it is through that that the devil is kicked in the face. That the devil loses his grip on this world. Yeah. What's the motivation? Love. The benefit is, is greater than the cost. And the devil is destroyed by people having this mindset. Okay. Back in Acts 8, verse 3. I want you guys, I want to read this again. But Saul began to destroy the church. Is it possible for, the, for Saul to destroy the church? No way. He begins. He begins to do it. Is it possible for the devil to destroy the church? No way. There's the, the, the Lord, Jesus, will triumph over the devil. Guaranteed. There's times where it looks like we got a hit. But there is no way that the devil is going to be able to destroy the church of Jesus. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus, even the church of Jesus right here at the cornerstone. So going from house to house, Saul grabs people and he drags them, like what you saw in that video. He drags them, men and women, off and he puts them in prison. Now I want you guys to think about these people who have been dragged off of prison. Yeah, I won't raise. You You don't have to raise your hand. I was going to say who's been in prison, but maybe you guys don't want to tell him. Okay. These people are dragged off. They're put in prison. Why don't you guys think about this? Thousands of people who have put their hope in Jesus, they've seen the power of Jesus. These people were people who had seen Jesus' power while he was there with them. These people had seen his power, his miracles. They'd seen so many of them had seen him die. So many of them had seen him after he resurrected to life again. So many of them had experienced his Holy Spirit being poured out upon them at Pentecost and saw the effects of that. So many of them had sat under the apostles teaching, learning how all the prophecies from Old Testament pointed to Jesus. And they'd heard again and again the message of Jesus. What was the message of Jesus. What was the underlying message of Jesus? Remember when Jesus is preaching? What is he always talking about? He's talking about the kingdom. Exactly. Who said that? Thank you. He's, that's, his message is a message of kingdom power. That the old kingdom is being overthrown. And here I am to set up a new kingdom in which justice will prevail. That's Jesus' message. The message is a message of Jesus' kingdom where he is the king. That's the message. And these people who are being hauled off to jail, They've heard about Jesus being the king. They've heard that he's coming back. They've heard that he is setting up a kingdom of justice. And they're going, what's going on? This doesn't feel just. This doesn't feel like a just kingdom. This doesn't feel like Jesus has the authority over the devil. Where are you, God, in all this? What is happening? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Why, God? Where are you? Oh, God. Some of us here are feeling the same way. It's like, God, with all that I've been through, even in the past few days, some of you, you're thinking, Where are you? I thought your kingdom was supposed to be a place where righteousness reigned, and I don't feel like righteousness is reigning. I feel like I'm being treated with injustice. So I want to answer this question for you because I want you to have certainty. Why stuff like this still happens? Why stuff like this happens in other parts of the world? And why lesser stuff, but really hard stuff, still happens in your life? So first of all, we got to understand what God is doing. If we don't understand what God is doing and how he's doing it, you guys, by the time you're my age, are going to be bitter people. Because you're going to accuse God of not having come through for you. And what you'll still do is you'll still go to church on Sundays. Some of the time. And you still might give some money to the church because you think, well, that's what, you know, I guess I got to do that. But deep inside, you're going to have a distrust of God because he didn't come through for you in the way that you believe that he should if he was really a good God. we got to understand this. So what is God doing? Understand what God was up to was not trying to make the lives of all those people who went off to jail easy. If he was willing to go through so much pain himself to build his kingdom on this planet, doesn't it not st- doesn't it not stand a reason that he's willing to let some of his people go through a little bit of pain also, yeah. if that will help to build his kingdom? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. His goal is building a kingdom on this planet by building a kingdom in your heart. Building his kingdom in your heart. And that can only happen if you trust him. And the question that he's asking you in in all this stuff is, do you trust me? And remember what Jesus said. He said, don't be afraid of those who kill the body who afterwards can't do anything worse. I'll tell you who to fear. You fear the judge who after killing has authority to throw you in hell. That's who we should be afraid of. This is nothing compared to hell. Jesus, Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Hell's a real place, and he doesn't want anybody to go there because he loves all people, and he would do anything to keep every person out of hell, including dying again, if that would would make a difference. But he doesn't need to. He already did it once. He died for every single individual person. Yes, there's a sense that he died for everybody collectively, but he would have died for you if you were the only person alive, even if you rejected him. He died for you. He loves you. He will do anything to keep you out of hell. You guys know what hell is? Hell is being cut off from the author of life. And there's one person who never did anything wrong, who was cut off from the author of life, and that was Jesus himself. God, who is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, became a human so that he could experience the punishment that Steve deserves, that the Boko Haram people deserve, that the people who were killing that girl deserve. He died for them. He died for me. That's what Jesus did. Jesus did that because he loves us. That's what he's up to. Now, how does he do it? How does he build his kingdom? Not by force. Every other king that has, has set himself up in authority before has come in and said, I'm in charge, and if you don't like it, you die. And Jesus, he comes and says, take it if you want it, but no pressure. And never forces himself on anybody. What Jesus said, after he shows how much he loves you, he takes his disciples, after he comes to life again, after he's raised from the dead, he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Do you guys remember when Jesus says this? As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. You know what? How how did the Father send Jesus? As a servant to die. And Jesus turns around and says, hey, you saw how I died? Guess what? I'm sending you guys out to do the same thing. Motivated by love. And that's why Paul says, and Matt mentioned this verse just a little bit ago. Paul says, when he's out of this, in this motivation of love for Christ and Jesus' kingdom, he says, I rejoice in what I have suffered for all of you, and I fill up in my body what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. What Paul is saying is that, The pain that Jesus went through was enough to pay for sin, but the building of the kingdom is not done yet. And therefore, in this body of mine, I will allow pain if I can just give Jesus one more ounce of glory. And I want to say the same thing. I want to say the same thing, Lord. Whatever glory you can squeeze out of my life, one more drop of glory out of my life, I want it. Whatever it costs me, whatever it's going to cost me, I want you to get glory from this life in the 9,600 days I got left. Every day. Every penny. Every conversation. Every ounce of energy for the glory of Jesus. As painful as it might be. I want that. And I want it for you guys too because it is life. It is the way to live. And anything else, anything we spend our, our energy and time and money on for ourselves is worthless. Here's what I want you guys to get. That there is nothing... That, is, that you are going through, no pain that you're going through, that is going to be wasted if you're a person who loves him and have answered his call. What's the verse that talks about that? You guys know? We know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and who are, called according to his purpose. Where is that found? Romans 8, 28. 28. Here's the deal. It doesn't say that God causes all things to work together for good for everybody. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and who have answered the call on their lives. Those who are called according to his purpose. Amen. Amen. Here's the guarantee. Whatever you're going through right now, God will use for good if you love him if you love him and respond to his call on your life yeah. if you don't love him what's going through now won't turn into good yeah. it's not going to turn into good okay i want to tell you some stories of this truth okay this is a few, few stories For, there's some stories that i want you guys to think about and apply to your own lives of how god turns terrible things into good you guys remember the story of joseph in the old testament One of the best stories in the Old Testament, from Genesis 37 through the end of the end of the book of Genesis. Joseph is this guy. He's the second to youngest um, brother of 12 brothers. The brothers don't like him because he's a young punk. They kick him in a hole. And right, they they throw him in a hole. And they're talking about how to kill him. And then they see some slave traders coming by on their way to Egypt. And they're like, "We don't have to kill him. We can make some money. They sell him to slave traders." He goes to Egypt treated totally unjustly he goes to egypt spends time in prison and it, god's got a plan for him and joseph is raised up to be the second guy in command in the world at that time in egypt and because of that because of what he'd been through he's able to save the lives of not just his family but of many many people and in genesis 50:20, this is what it says and I learned this back when I was a kid in the Living Bible. I don't use the Living Bible anymore, but this is what it says. As far as I'm concerned, Joseph says to his brothers, as far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you, all you brothers, meant for evil. And he brought me to this high position, which I have today, so that I could save the lives of many people. He brought, God brought good out of the stinking selfishness of those brothers. And he gives the same thing in your life today. Okay, that's one story. Second story I want to tell you guys about is a guy, is a guy named Richard Wormbrand. Who knows who Richard Wormbrand is? He's a hero. That's right. Thank you. Okay, Aaron knows who he is. Richard Wormbrand was a Romanian pastor who spent 14 years in prison because of his faith in Jesus. After finishing eight years in prison, being tortured, having his feet broken, he, can't, he couldn't walk properly anymore he was released and what did he do upon his release he went back to his church and started preaching jesus and they threw him back in jail for another six years and that all started when romania was under control of the nazis and he says in his book tortured for christ which is worth reading he says in his book under the, being under the nazi regime was nothing compared to when the communists came when the communists came, they started by trying to woo the hearts of the pastors. And they had a convention with all the pastors in Romania, brought them together, and basically brainwashed them into believing that the Communist Party was on the side of the church. And in this convention with all these Romanian pastors, Richard Wurmbrand's wife nudges him and says, You got to stand up and say something. And Richard Wurmbrand turns to his wife and whispers, if i say something they're going to kill me. And she says, I'd rather have a dead husband than a husband who's afraid to stand up for Christ. And he stands up. I mean, what a great wife. Yeah. I hope I hope your wives will see, your you guys' wives will say that to you. He stands up and before the government and before all these pastors who are bowing down to communism, he proclaims the gospel. And that's where he he ends up going to prison for 14 years and this is what he says just one little excerpt from the book that he he says it was strictly forbidden to preach to the prisoners he goes into detail about the the torture that he endured it was strictly forbidden to preach to the prisoners it was understood that whoever was caught doing this would receive a severe beating good deal huh good trade-off a number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching they're like okay i can either not preach And not get beaten or i can preach and get beaten so i'll take the beating so we we accepted the communists terms it was a deal we preached and they beat us we were happy preaching they were happy beating us (laughs) so everyone was happy (laughs) so what good came out of that i mean you think how could god bring good out of that you know what Richard Wurmbrand was finally released. And he started an organization called Voice of the Martyrs. And what you guys just saw here, those prayer requests, the ICommitToPray.com, well, that, that was from the Voice of the Martyrs website. Did any good come out of his beatings? Absolutely. And he, he relished in the privilege that he had of sharing Jesus with so many of the people who had beat him. Amazing. Okay, let me tell you another story. You guys know the story of... Yeah, there's a movie. You guys can watch the movie. Okay, you can put that down. You don't have to, you don't have to play that now. Um, next story is... Story, who knows who Jim Elliot is? Nate Saint. Those guys. Okay. In 1956, a tribe called the Waorani, also known as the Alcas in Ecuador, and... Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and three other guys were determined to share Jesus with them. And they really were a little bit foolish because their mission organizations said, no, you don't, that's not safe. But they went and made contact with the Wild tribe and they were killed, all five of them. And you think, what good com- could come out of that? Well, let me tell you what the good came out of that. Their wives... Moved into the Waorani area, and the Waorani tribe came to Jesus because of the forgiveness that the wives had toward the Waorani people, in spite of them killing their husbands. What's more, is it just happened by God's sovereign design that a photographer from Life Magazine happened to be in Ecuador at the time, and he took pictures of that, of what had happened there on the beach on the sandbar where, the plane, where their plane had landed and where they'd been killed. And those pictures within a uh, f- few weeks were in every American home. And th- what happened as a result of that was a wave, a tsunami of young people your age who said, I know what I want to do with my life. Yeah. And it's because of that that I'm here talking to you today because my parents were a part of that wave of people. Yeah. And... Um, and I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm so privileged to have to have a connection with that. In fact, I had uh, the search, I'm pointing up there like I showed you the video, but um, <laughs> I, I had this, um, somebody who's a, uh, who's a friend of mine who's, on, who's now in heaven, I had he, him and his wife at, um, at a meeting that I was leading here at Grace Community Church come and share their story of their part in that, in that story and how they'd gone in on the search and rescue team to try to find the bodies of those five guys. And... When um, Don, Don has already passed away, Helen Helen Johnson, his wife, is still alive, and I saw her at a funeral a few months ago, and she took my hand when she saw me. She said, "Steve, I want you to know I pray for you and your ministry every day." Thank you, God. That that story has a, a kind of a roundabout connection to you guys. It's people who are a part of that story, at least Helen Johnson, is praying for you. It's amazing, it's amazing. What good came out of that? Look at this. Okay, let me tell you another story. Another story is, uh, well, is you guys heard about the 21 martyrs on the beach in Libya, right? there's Libya right? Um, I want you guys to see a video because you think what good could come out of that. I want you to see a short video. Um of regarding people from those those martyrs families so can you play that welcome to this edition of christian world news everyone i'm wendy griffith thanks for joining us well imagine seeing your husband brother or father brutally killed by religious fanatics that's what happened to many families
1: when isis executed 21 egyptian christians in february While the horrible video led to worldwide outrage, some families are happy that the martyrs kept their faith. And as Gary Lane found out, they're ready to forgive. I was very proud that my husband stood firm in his faith and that he didn't deny Jesus. That surprising reaction is happening 150 miles south of Cairo in the village of El Hour. Residents there honor the sacrifice of 21 Egyptians, brutally murdered last February by ISIS. Their pictures are prominently displayed in the sanctuary of Virgin Mary Church. Thirteen attended this church. The martyrs left behind family members, like 23-year-old Miriam Farhat. She became a widow when the militants beheaded her husband Malik Ibrahim in Libya. She first learned of his murder when she saw this now infamous video on local television. We were very sad for the first two days, but we hadn't seen the video. When we saw them in the video calling to Jesus, we were very comforted. And that's why Miriam and other families say they are now joyful, not sad. Babawi al-Ham's brother Samuel was among those killed. We were always praying that God would make them steadfast in their faith. We were very happy with what they said on the video, Jesus
0: Christ, have mercy on us. When we found out they had been killed for being Christian,
1: we were very comforted because these were God's children and He took them. Although Samuel's wife and children now live without a husband and father, his family told CBN News their faith is stronger. They forgive the jihadists and even pray for ISIS.
0: I pray for them that God may open their heart and they may know the truth and know that what they do is wrong and then do the right thing. Jesus told us to forgive every sin and we forgive them and we hope that they can come to know Jesus. Can any, can any good come out of the killing of 21 people? I would think, no way. But God is going to bring good out of every bit of pain that anybody experiences who is willing to love him and willing to respond to the call. Jesus is not done yet. We could, we, we could have open mic time, and we could hear story after story of times that you thought that things couldn't get any worse. And God turned that around and used that situation in a way that brought good. That's what God does. God's a professional at doing that. He can make that happen. Okay, so back in Acts. Acts 8, verse 4. Just want you, we're going to read this. Then we're going to close. There, those, who, here's what I want you guys to think about. These people are dragged off to prison. What good could happen? We're told. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. And so there was great joy in that city, and in the next city, and in the next city, and the next city and what we find out in the next sections and through the rest of the book is the people who left Jerusalem because of the persecution, they went all over the known world, all the way from Britain to India. So that within a few years, there were, there were Christian communities all over. The gospel spread all over because of that persecution. Because of the persecution that seems so horrific and that Stephen gave his life for first thousands, and then tens of thousands, and hundreds of thousands, and then millions of people, and then us came to know the great news of Jesus. So guys, we're going we're gonna to end by singing this, this song about the forgiveness of Jesus. We've been forgiven. We've been forgiven because of what Jesus did for us. He gave his life for us, and as we sing this, here's, here's what I want to ask you guys to do. is Would you, would you just say, Lord, here's my life. We all know that, that our lives, apart from him, don't mean anything. Here's my life, oh God. Would you use my life to get glory for yourself in any way that you want, regardless of whether it's something that right now I think I like or not? It's the safest place to be.